Today actually is the 21st of January, and so I'll preach the sermon that I planned for today. It's the three points of wisdom, and our text is James chapter 1, verse 21 through 26. This will be a sermon that you all haven't heard already, and so it will probably be better if I preach this one. And the Bible says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And if anyone amongst you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. God bless the reading of his word. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity and with boldness and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear this lesson for today. And before we begin this lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We come to church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. In our last lesson, we reviewed the purpose of wisdom in our lives, that being to help us live our lives in such a way that at the end of our lives, we have a resume that indicates that we took on the task that the Lord set to our hands, even as Jesus took on the cross and became our intercessor at the right hand of God. Now, while it will probably not be ours to endure as sacrifice analogous to that of the cross, we are admonished to run the race that God has given us to run with endurance, taking on the trials that our race entails. Well, how do we do that? How can we prepare ourselves to put this great gift of wisdom into practice? James gives us a three-point plan to implement the Word of God, and we discussed the first point last week, which is given in James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, which says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and our innately sinful nature makes anger a very dangerous emotion for us to entertain. God has a plan to remedy the evils of the world, as we can see if we read the book of Revelation. But when we become angry, we also become impatient with God's plan to remedy the evils that others perpetrate on us personally. 
This reduces our ability to follow God's instructions. And anger causes us to replace God's comprehensive agenda with our own narrowly focused one and thus become more susceptible to the snares that the wicked one puts in our path as those sinful suggestions appear to be more efficient to us in meeting our short-term goals. So now Jesus warns us against indulging the sentiment in the first verse of our text for today. Now the conjunction, therefore, at the beginning of James 1.21 joins the idea of avoiding anger from verses 19 and 20 with the idea of laying aside filthiness and wickedness. It reads, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, how do we think when we are angry? Are we not generally punitive toward those with whom we are displeased and thus think of ways to get even or at least get what we consider justice from them? The problem that we have when we are in that situation is that we are more susceptible to thoughts of evil, filth, and wickedness when getting even is on our mind. When someone does something to us that we interpret as evil, we have the naturally sinful propensity to decide to use their own filthy, wicked, evil tactics to get back at them. But we are admonished by the psalmist to wait and let God handle the situation in Psalm 37, verse 7 and 9, as it admonishes us, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. It is most difficult, however, to wait on God because his time frame may not be the same as ours. The psalmist says that if we wait on the Lord, we will inherit the earth. But the question is, when? Our adversary is misusing us right now. So why must we wait for our justification? It would be so much more satisfying to keep those who are injuring us from getting away with it. But God is telling us to rest and be patient, but why rest when we can do something about it right now? Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, admonished us in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, 9, 13, and 14 from the New International Version. It says, the end of a matter is better than its beginning." And patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. So now, regardless of our schemes to get even with the one at whom we are angry, we need to keep in mind that although God does not cause evil, he allows evil to exist in the world because of his gift of free will to his creation. We do not know exactly what God is going to do to remedy the evil that we cause, even, that the, even as the Jews did not anticipate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. 
But the most wise thing that we can do when we encounter evil would be to follow God's instructions since God is the one that allowed the situation to come to pass and God is the one that has the plan to remedy the situation that will cause us to grow in, in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which should be the ultimate aim on our agenda. The key is to lay aside that which our evil desires tell us to do and develop a spirit of meekness, which will allow us to endure the trials and tribulations of life with the assurance that God is still sitting at the pinnacle of the circle of the universe with all power in heaven and earth in his hand and will come to rescue us in his own way, in his own time. No, my plan for life may not come to pass. No, my personal prayer may not be answered immediately in the affirmative. No, I may not get what I want when I want it. No, people may not do what I want them to do. And no, I ought not transgress the law of God to try to coerce people to do what I want them to do. So James's first point is that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So now James points out, secondly, that if I want to receive the blessing from God, it is my responsibility to not just hear the commandments of God, but to follow them, regardless of that which others may do. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, wisdom requires more than knowledge. Once we have the knowledge of the word of God, we need to execute the plan that the knowledge of the word of God gives us. I took a management class in which the lecturer clarified this point for me. The lecturer said that any failure to complete a task in life is a function of one of two deficiencies, those being either a deficiency of knowledge or a deficiency of execution. Now, a deficiency of knowledge means that you don't know how to perform the task. If you were at this point having a medical emergency, I would have to call 911 because I am neither a paramedic nor a doctor and I don't know what to do in such a situation. But in a, a deficiency of execution means that you know what to do, but you choose not to do it. If you call me to help you with your computer, I could choose not to come at your request. Now, the method that the lecturer used to ascertain whether a deficiency was that of knowledge or of execution was to ask the question, could you perform this task if your life depended on it? Now, if you have a deficiency of knowledge, then you cannot perform the task even if your life depended on it because you actually do not know how to perform the task. If, on the other hand, you could perform the task if your life depended on it, then your deficiency in performing the task is one of execution. That is, you have decided not to do that which you know how to do. And in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 23 and 25, the Bible says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Now, James makes an analogy between a deficiency of execution and forgetfulness. A forgetful church member 
is one that listens to the sermon on Sunday and then on Monday when faced with the trials and tribulations of the world reverts back to the non-spiritual position of getting angry at and even with those who treat him or her in a manner that he or she does not appreciate. Listening to the exposition of the word of God ought to build up our resistance to injury and make us more able to be a doer of the work, following the commandments of God that we hear enumerated during the sermon. Now, we may dress up, come to church, and say praise the Lord and amen at the appropriate times and shake hands with our fellow church members, but coming to church is like going to practice while the real game is played on the field of everyday life. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we can generally be pleasant with the person sitting next to us in the congregation, praising the Lord with us, which is practice. But what is our response when we are faced with the real world? What are we supposed to do if someone slaps us? Is Jesus serious about our turning the other cheek? Really? What does he think that an evil person will do if we give them more opportunity to abuse us? How does he expect us to love our enemies? If we show love to those who show hate to us, won't they just take advantage of us and make our lives more miserable? Are we really supposed to pray for those who are spiteful toward us? Now, I can follow that commandment. I pray for those who treat me badly, but I pray that they might fall into a hole. I'm not exactly sure that that's what Jesus had in mind as he speaks here. Now, are you having the same problem dealing with the realities of the word of God that I am? God's word is not obeyed by our church attendance, although church attendance is very important, as at church we receive reinforcement of his word. But the word of God calls for us to voluntarily embrace that, we are, that which we are instructed by the spirit of God, which is given to each of us when we receive Jesus Christ as our savior. Now, Paul gives us an excellent explanation, beginning in Romans chapter 8 and 1, which says, there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So now we who are in Christ are admonished to walk 
not according to the flesh, which means that with that which makes us physically and emotionally comfortable, but according to the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, or as we call him, the Holy Spirit. Now, the verb walk used in Romans 8 and 1 stipulates that the trip with the spirit is voluntary. We cannot be carried along by the spirit unless and until we first make the decision to walk with the spirit. Listen to the genealogy of the patriarchs Jared and Enoch given in Genesis chapter 5, verse 18 and 24, which say, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, if we were to review the genealogies of the other patriarchs given in Genesis chapter 5, we would see the word lived in the place in verse 19, uh, where the genealogy of Enoch says, walk with God in verse 22. Now, this differentiates from this early part of the, dip of the Bible between living and walking with God. The relationship between man and God that is described as a walk is a totally voluntary relationship on the part of man based upon our individual personal assessment that to follow God's commandments is the most, most beneficial way to live. And like any voluntary walk that we take, we can decide to discontinue walking whenever we wish. I used to walk my dog Neil through the neighborhood almost every day, but I've not been on that walk since we had to put Neil to sleep. When our new dog gets past the puppy stage, I may resume my walks again, but I don't have to. And I appreciate the companionship that those here give me on Sunday mornings as you come out to hear and discuss my presentation, but I recognize that your attendance here is voluntary, and you can decide not to come at any time you wish. So, just as you have decided to walk with me today in this worship and learning situation, we have to decide daily whether or not we will walk with God. People often make a public confession of their belief in God and his son, Jesus Christ, but then fail to walk with him in their daily lives. Jesus explains his behavior in a parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19 through 23. The Bible says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now note that in verse 19, the wicked one snatches away the word of the kingdom 
taking the person off of the journey with God. But in verses 20 and 21, the person's own reaction to both the troubles of the world and the riches of the world is to voluntarily leave the journey. We can be taken off of the journey by the devil, or we can voluntarily leave the journey. We can leave the journey because things are too troublesome, or we can leave the journey because things are too rich. My point is that the journey is completely voluntary and that we must make the decision to walk with God each and every day that we wake up. Romans 8, 5 tells us, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So now where do you set your mind? Walking on the journey with God means that you have a pretty good idea of how God wants you to react to situations. And if you find yourself in a situation in which you are not sure about God's will, you consider a prayer for God's wisdom to be in order. The problem that we generally have, however, is not usually a lack of knowledge about the will of God, but rather a personal focus on our own nature, on that which we ourselves want, which is how the scripture defines living according to the things of the flesh. So now, is your focus on being successful as you personally define success, or are you more concerned about successfully doing that which the Lord wants you to do? When faced with a decision, do you sell out to self, endeavor to come to a compromise between your will and God's will, or sell out to God? Listen to Matthew 5.39 once again. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, as I asked earlier, what are we supposed to do if someone slaps us? Is Jesus really serious about our turning the other cheek? Really? What does he think that an evil person will do if we give them more opportunity to abuse us? But the real question is, with whom are we deciding to walk? Are we walking with God? Or have we decided to walk our own way? Once again, when faced with a decision, do we do what we want? Endeavor to find a compromise between that which God is telling us in his word and that which will make us comfortable? Or do what God tells us to do? Are we setting our minds on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit of God? Do we realize that God has an agenda, the specifics of which we may not know, that we can fulfill by following his commandment, even though our flesh does not really want to do it. So declaring ourselves Christian is a declaration of the person with whom we are walking. When we declare our Christianity, we are saying that we are now walking with Jesus Christ. Joining a church is not intended to be a declaration of our allegiance to an organization, but our declaration that we intend to walk with Jesus in parallel with the other members of the church organization. Jesus made this clear to his small 12-member church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
So think of church as practice and our daily walk with the Lord as the game. Paul tells us in Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 12 through 14, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So, access to life in the next world is granted to us because of our walk in the Spirit of God with the Son of God as we do the will of God. And it is my hope that this information will make us preoccupied with doing the will of God once we leave the doors of the sanctuary. If not, we will not be able to claim a, defi claim a deficiency of knowledge at the bar of judgment, but we will have to accept the verdict that our deficiency was one of execution, that is, that we knew what to do, but failed to do it. So, first of all, we must avoid anger. And secondly, we must be doers of the word of God. And the third point that James makes is given in James 1.26, which says, If anyone among you thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So our words are as important as our actions. We can wound with a word, and we can help heal with a word. Malicious words spread untruths and tear down the reputations of others, while kind words encourage and build up the spirits of the downtrodden. It's important to recognize that the only way we communicate with most people is, th is by what with that which we say, and especially if the other person considers us influential. The mind receives those thought pictures that we communicate through our words and can make them physically real. People get caught up in fiction that they know is not true. In some of the offices that I supervised during my management career, I overheard people talking about circumstances and situations that I assumed from their conversation were family problems, only to hear later that the two people talking were discussion of discussing a fictional situation in a television show. As a matter of fact, television works so well because it is a verbal communication medium. Television dramas did well once without pictures. It was called radio. Television has worked without pictures, but try television without sound. Go to the video store and rent a movie with an additional soundtrack in a language that you do not understand and then play the movie with the sound in the foreign language. You will find that unless the movie is an action movie, you will not enjoy the movie very much if you cannot understand the dialogue. And even God is influenced by what we say. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11 tells us, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, why would God care that I misuse his name? Why is blasphemy such a big problem for God? Why does he even care what I say? I have no power over God. If I lie on him, how does that negatively affect him? I can understand God finding me guilty if I do something that I'm not supposed to do. But why does mere talk upset him so much? After all, I learned when I was a child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. So why is God's name so important to him? Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 24. The Bible says, Then one was brought to Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, 
and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So the Pharisees ascribed ascribe the power of Jesus to the devil. But so what? The man whom Jesus healed was just as healed, no matter to whom the Pharisees described Jesus' power, right? Yes, that is true. But that's not the way that Jesus saw it. Jesus did not ignore the malice of the Pharisees, but found it necessary to correct them publicly. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 through 28. The Bible says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jesus goes on to condemn their blasphemy in Matthew 12, verse 31 through 37. The Bible says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree bad and his fruit bad, for a tree is known by his fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So God wants positive credit for the good things that he does for us. God wants appreciation and praise for the benevolent power that he wields on our behalf. God wants us to speak good things about that which he does for us and tells us that our idle, blasphemous words will be judged, our words are being recorded, and can either condemn us or justify us. Our text tells us to bridle our tongues. Paul says it more expansively in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32, when the Bible says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So to be pleasing to God, our words to one another are to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Our words to and about God are to be truthful and grateful. So we have the three points of wisdom of which James speaks in his first chapter of his book. We are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. 
We are to do that which the word of God tells us, regardless of our feelings about the situation. And we are to govern our speech so that it conforms to that which God expects from us. Remember Jesus Christ, who had all power, but was able to endure the agony of the cross because it was part of the plan of God. He did not display anger, either in word or deed, during his passion, but rather prayed for the eventual salvation of those who were driving the nails through his wrists and into the wood. Even as he died, he committed his spirit into the hands of God and then decreed that the plan of God for his life was successfully completed. If Jesus Christ could give himself to implement God's plan, undergoing the torture of the cross without becoming angry and blessing rather than cursing, even in his most undeserved agony, we ought to be able to walk with him and endure the small reversals and setbacks of life with the same grace. In conclusion, let us walk in wisdom according to the example of Jesus Christ as we govern ourselves according to his instruction in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson and uh, for the points that James gives us that we might learn how to uh, deport ourselves in the world and help us as we leave practice and go out into the real game that we might be able uh, to consult with you on a daily basis, that we might be able to get your marching orders and live our lives in the way that you would have us to do so. Help us to make the decision to follow your instructions daily. And let us give ourselves to you that we might be able to fulfill your plan in the earth. And our Lord, we thank you for all that in the house today. We ask that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. So, let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for those uh, whom we are praying for. And we're asking you, Lord, that uh, you would bless in the many varied situations. Uh, we ask that you bless Brother Quarterman and Brother Uat that uh, Dr. Allen is asking us to pray for, help that... Uh, let his grandson continue to grow and allow him to enjoy the time that he's spending with him. We're praying for the list, those who are on Sister Allen's list, her family, her husband, her children, and uh, her mother and her father, and those that she's asked us to pray for, for the store, for, for, for Sister Morgan, who's starting to walk in rehab, for Brother Bragg, who is feeling better this week, although he's still on dialysis. We ask you that you'd help him to uh, complete his preparations and that you'd make a kidney transplant available to him. We ask you that you uh, intervene in Maury and Dwayne Curtis's relationship with one another, that you would bind them together with cords of love, give them uh, good counsel that will allow them to understand their differences and their similarities and to create a good marriage from that situation. And we're also praying that, uh, that uh, you would be in the body of Sister Sherrod. 
Sister Darlene Sherrod, that she has a recurring lump in her breast, even after she's gone through chemotherapy. But we know that although the doctors have the first say, you have the last say, and we ask you to make your say for her. Now, Lord, we're praying for the Beards, uh, for Marcia and Julian, and for Carlos Young. We ask you that you'd help to resolve that their situations well. Uh, praying for Paul as he travels up and down a dangerous highway. Give him uh, good technical solutions to his problems. We thank you, Lord, that that he's involved in this moving situation. And we ask you, Lord, that you would bless uh, bless him uh, as he looks for a new domicile on the other side of the state. Uh, allow his journeys uh, as he goes back and forth to be prof profitable and productive. And we thank you for all that you have done for him. Still praying for Rachel Dima's mother. We're asking you that you'd uh, uh, continue in blessing her as she is uh, recovering. And we ask that you keep her in a recovering state until she recovers, that they might have a glorious testimony of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Continuing prayer for Mother Z and Brother Rodriguez and Brother Tyson, for Mother Versa, for Johnny Mae Wills. We are asking that you bless Teresa as well and Wendy Thompson. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would give comfort to Sister Hannah as she is about to go through a long routine, uh, go through a, a situation as she has to deal with her mother with Alzheimer's disease. And we ask you, Lord, that as she goes through those stages, uh, that you would uh, give her mercy and give her the ability to uh, withstand that trial, uh, even as you gave Jesus the power to withstand the trial on the cross. Send an angel to strengthen her, even as you sent an angel to strengthen him. Continuing in prayer for Ms. Bard as she's about to undergo leg surgery uh, in another month or so. And we just ask you that you would bless her in that. Praying for uh, Rick. Over in Iraq, keep him safe. And for Nikki and Brian and Sarah, and we ask you, Lord, that you would uh, allow Brian to uh, come to a good resolution on his situation. Uh, let let uh, those things that he has gone through uh, help him to learn uh, from those things that he might be able to do better on his next try. And we're also praying for Eric and Amanda. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would uh, look in on their situation and resolve it for them, help them to come to a saving knowledge of you and then a resolution that would be pleasing in your sight. Praying for uh, Sister Alice Mae Nichols as she's had foot surgery and Sister Lena Goodson as she's had knee surgery. And we're asking you, Lord, that you bless those ladies to recover uh, with full strength and full function and full range of motion, that they might continue to uh, rejoice with their family and all the goodness that you have done for them. We pray for Brother Edwards and his wife and for those two children. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help all of them as they are growing academically. Uh, give, give the boys the mind that they need as they go to school, that they might be able to learn that which the teachers are requiring of them and, and come up with a good report at the end. And we ask you, Lord, that you bless their parents as they train them in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from them. Pray for the Fullers over across the street in their store and their situation for Penny Rajlov, who Rick has asked us to pray for, that all goes well with her radiation treatment. Now we're praying, Lord, for Brother Joseph Miller, as he is on the candidate list for a liver transplant, uh, that you'd make that available to him, that he might be able to continue uh, to provide comfort to his family and his friends. Also, we're continuing in prayer for Brother Sanders, as he needs comfort in the death of his wife. Now we're praying for Brother Cedric as he has as he's back in school, and we're asking you, Lord, that that you would allow him to go into the school and learn everything that's there for them to learn. That when the test time comes, he'll be able to put down all the answers and get a, a perfect score. 
and that he would be able to progress well from where he is. We're praying for his parents, and we're asking you, Lord, that you'd bind them together with cords of love that cannot be broken, that they might be able to continue to make his domicile secure, and that you would bless them in their uh, occupational endeavors. Uh, we ask you that you would help uh, Sister Lee as she has to deal with those teenage children. Give her wisdom and give her grace as uh, she thinks of things to tell them that will bless their lives. And we ask you to bless Brother Lee as he has to go downtown and, and deal with things at the state. We're also praying for Frida Durham and the Smithwick family and for the Steichen family as well. We ask that you bless them and also for Michael Pillow and Janet Teddy that you go along with them. Uh, Tyrone Davis, uh, bless him in his bereavement as well. We're thanking you, Lord, that Janelle and JJ made it back to school, that everything went well, they got all their classes, and that they're ready for the next term. And we're asking you as well with, with, with these young people uh, that you would give them that which they require to understand all that the teachers are saying, to remember all that is necessary for them to know and be able to come up with good grades at the end of the term. We're praying, Lord, that uh, Janelle will be prepared for a good summer with Price Waterhouse and that JJ will be prepared for a good summer uh, probably back at home with his parents and that, that he will be able to have a great time after his first year in college. We're continuing in prayer for Sister Olney and Brother Kraft and Mother McClure and Brother Hokewater as well. And we ask you that you just bless them. Praying for the Winstons, uh, for Brother, Brother Jerome's back problem and for uh, Jerome Jr. We ask you that you would Help him to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're still in prayer for Donna Powell and Lynn Poiter. And we're asking you, Lord, that you bless Sister Winston and allow her shoulder to uh, continue to recover and give her full range of motion in that. Lord, I'm praying for Dad, and I'm praying for Marvin, and I'm praying for Aunt Naomi, and I'm praying for Uncle Jab, and I'm praying for all that are in my family in the Chicago area and, in the, and on the East Coast, Lord. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless we thank you that you brought them through the holiday season and all seems to be well. We just ask you to continue to bless as they go down from this place. Praying for Brother Bowie has just had a kidney transplant. We ask you, Lord, that you would continue to bless him as he's coming from that. Be with Brother McGill and Sister Morgan. We ask you that you bless her as she is working on her mental problems and that you would allow the things that have transpired in her life, allow her to see her way clear of those things that have transpired in her life that she might be able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Praying for the Perkins down in uh, Louisiana and for the uh, Northerns in Houston. And we're asking you, Lord, that you bless them as they're raising those young children. Help them to train them in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from it. Just continuing in prayer for Brother Russell in White Hills. We ask you that you allow his wife to bring him home for a visit and, uh, and enjoy their time together. Also, we're also praying for Brother Sifford, who's a chaplain over in Iraq. Let him give the troops the good word that they need uh, as they're over there fighting uh, for their country. And now, Lord, we're also praying for Sister Flanagan and her son, that his leg would remain in good shape through the basketball season. We thank you for the blessing of giving him the football season. And we ask him to continue to go with him and stand by him as he recovers and strengthens as he plays ball. Now, Lord, we're praying for the television station for the Forgotten Man Ministry. For those who are victims of the hurricane and their relief workers, for our armed forces around the around the country and around the world, and then we are praying for the young men in, in in this neighborhood and in the neighborhoods where we are at home that something may happen in their lives, that they may come to a saving knowledge of you if that's what's necessary for them. 
and also for the salvation of all our families and our friends that do not know you in the pardon of our sins. And now we pray for the place that you've given us here for these words and for this discussion that we've had today. Help it to sink down into our hearts. Let us think about these things and grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for my wife, who's the love of my life. I ask you to continue to bless her. Go with her and stand by her and all that she does. Let her have a great time this week over at the, um, at the uh, uh, business conference that she's going to and allow her to learn all that they're telling and give another great presentation over there as well. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Jesus suffered, bled, and died on the old rugged cross. He gave his life that we might have a right and a just right to the tree of life. Although we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, we can stand before God not with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness that he gained for us as he gave his life on the old rugged cross. And as we go down from this place this week, let us remember that we are walking with him in all the places that we go. Let us consult him before we do things that we might be able to follow the rules that were given to us in the book of James for curtailing our anger and following the law of God and making our speech pleasant. We thank Jesus Christ for all that he has done and let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. And now may the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest with the Bible that's now henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.